What's good? You already know who it is, and if you don't know who it is, it's your man Leon Benson, aka Leon Genesis. This is episode 153, season four of the Passion Purpose Perspective podcast by yours truly. We out here, we working. It's Sunday, fun day, July 9th, 2023. So, last episode, we talked about training harder. And then in the world of finance, we gave an economic update. And then we followed that up with talking about declining balance depreciation. So if you want to get into all of the details of that episode, check out episode 152 to get all of the dibs and details. Today, we are going to talk about 31 benefits of exercise. Well, we're not going to talk about them. Really, we're just going to give you a list. And then in the world of finance, we are going to talk about other indefinite lived intangible assets. And of course, we're going to give you guys an economic update as we always do. So before we do that, make sure that you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast because we got more episodes on the way. Now, I originally was going to title this episode, What is the Purpose of Exercise? And I didn't really, I wasn't really feeling that vibe because there are many obvious, are not obvious purposes, but there, you know, we, we, we know all the general purposes of exercise, but it just was kind of like, I don't know, it wasn't an ideal uh, situation. So this episode is called 31 Benefits of Exercise. Now, I'm not getting into too much details, so... To anybody who's on the fence about getting into training, whether it's, you know, uh, doing cardio, becoming like, a, you know, a CrossFitter, um, if it's your first time getting into like recreational sports, um, maybe you're in high school and, you know, you just you trying to step your swag up, you trying to get litty, I'm saying you're trying to do your thing. You want to improve your 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 physical looks, which is awesome. You know, this is a very ideal episode for you because it's the most basic reasons that I can give you as to why you should be exercising. And even outside of school, whatever it is you're doing, like all of these reasons are more than enough reasons for you to get off of your ass a couple of times a week and go exercise 150 minutes per week. You know, like it's it's really not that hard. It really isn't. Um, it's not. And a lot of individuals make excuses for whatever reasons. I have no idea. You know, I'm and I'm talking about like people who ain't got no real legitimate excuses. Like it's legit, like fully capable individuals out here that are not utilizing their fullest potential in regards to their overall health and wellness. And they got lame ass excuses. But um, I'm going to just give you quickly 31 reasons why you should exercise. So number one. Exercise reduces body fat. Number two, exercise builds muscle. Number three, exercise strengthens your bones. Number four, 
Exercise maintains heart function. Number five, exercise strengthens your lung function. Number six, exercise improves brain function. Number seven, exercise improves immune systems. Number eight, exercise aids the digestive system in breaking down food. Number nine, Exercise nourishes your skin, so it makes your skin look super smooth, super sexy. Number 10, exercise sharpens your memory. Number 11, exercise boosts your creativity. So for all you creatives out there who are writers, actors, draw, uh, you know, you draw, you sketch, you paint, you know, you direct movies, you make music videos, uh, creative directors, like, yo, if you need a boost in your creativity, exercise. Getting back into the list. Number 12, exercise improves your concentration. Number 13, exercise stimulates production of endorphins, a.k.a. the feel-good, uh, you know, chemicals in our brains. Number 14, exercise increases relaxation. Number 15, exercise promotes better sleep. Number 16, exercise aids in anger management. So if you got a bad temper... You might want to start exercising consistently on a, on a weekly basis. Um, that might actually allow you to utilize that anger and channel it into a more productive process um, as far as exercise. So, yes, uh, number 17, exercise improves your mood. Number 18, exercise reduces stress. Number 19, exercise decreases feelings of depression. Number 20, exercise will boost your confidence that kind of goes in hand with improving moods but anyway um number 21 exercise helps you make friends number 22 exercise can prevent cancer number 23 exercise can help manage diabetes number 24 exercise can prevent stroke and heart disease number 25 exercise can lower your blood pressure Number 26, exercise can control the frequency of asthma attacks. So it can, it can allow you to have less asthma attacks, and it can also decrease the severity of those asthma attacks. Number 27, exercise alleviates back pain. A lot of people have lower back pain. If you want to fix your back pain, one of the ways to do that, if you're not in like really critical condition or having really chronic situations, is exercise. Um, getting back to the list. Number 28, exercise helps fight addiction. So whatever type of addictions you may have, I don't know, addiction to work, addiction to sex, uh, addiction to drugs, addiction to alcohol, whatever the case may be, um, exercise can help with that. Uh, number 29, exercise increases your energy. Yes, you heard that right. Exercise actually increases your energy. Some people don't believe that, but I'm telling you, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, you know, a testament to that for sure like especially over the last couple of weeks my energy is my energy levels are absolutely insane um and a lot of that is because of the nutrition that i added into the exercise as far as like eating like you know a lot cleaner than i typically eat but anyway enough about me so number 30 exercise improves your posture if you got shitty ass posture Exercise will actually allow you to get more in tune with your body, be able to um, contract certain types of muscles, be able to stabilize and hold your body in the proper places when you're sitting, standing, you know, walking, laying, whatever the case may be. And then um, the final one, 
Number 31, exercise increases your life expectancy. If you are trying to live as long as possible, it may be ideal to add exercise into your daily routine. Um, you know, even if it's 20 minutes a day, seven days a week, or, you know, maybe it's 30 minutes a day, three times a week, whatever the case may be. Uh, it has to be a little bit more than that. The, the, the ideal is 150 minutes of moderate to intense exercise every week. All right. So yeah, that's 31 reasons why you should exercise. But at the same time, I can't tell you what to do. You don't got to listen to me. Um, this is just for individuals who, are, for whatever reason, are on the fence about if they should start going to the gym or if they should join that, that racquetball club or if they should play tennis with their neighbor or if they should start, you know, uh, you know, just trying to find a different way to channel their depression, their anxiety, uh, their anger or whatever. Put it into exercise. I'm telling you, it will change your entire life. Like it will definitely make things a lot better for you for sure. Um, especially when it comes to like stress and just the, you know, all the physical improvements that you can make exercising, but that's 31 reasons why you should exercise. Um, and there's a lot more, but they kind of just, I tried to just jot down a few that were not overlapping too much, even though there were some here that actually overlap, but yeah, man. Um, don't make excuses. I just gave you 31 reasons why you should exercise. Um, and all of them are extremely beneficial to your entire existence. So yeah, that is that. Now getting into, well, before I get into that, um, yeah, if you enjoyed this quick fitness portion of today's episode, make sure that you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. Cause we got more episodes on the way now. Getting into the finance portion of today's episode. Um, I hope I'm not too sloppy. It is going to be kind of quick. So um, the S&P 500 at the close on Friday was at 4,398.95 points or 8.70% off of the 22 uh, off of the 2022 highs. Um, another interesting, uh, you know, just dynamic uh, short term yields on bonds between three months up to two years are, they were all above 5% um, as of Friday. And then the 10, the 10 year and the two year treasury bonds, they are inverted by 97 basis points. And the reason why I'm mentioning that, and I talked about it before is when short term yields are higher then longer ter longer term yields in regards to bonds that causes an inversion a yield curve inversion and they've done some research and they've done some studies on yield curve inversions and just how they affect the economy in general so more specifically when the 10 year uh when the 10 year bond and the 2 year bond are inverted so basically when the 2 year bond is higher than the 10 year bond that is a yield curve inversion. Now, once it gets to a certain level in terms of how many basis points it's inverted, there's a there's a 70% chance of a recession coming 
um, I think like 12 to 18 months after that uh, inversion. But it has to be at a it has to be a certain spread between it. I don't know if it's 100 basis points, 50 basis points. I don't know if it's 200. But I don't know exactly what it is. Um, and I've said it in a previous episode. I've noticed the 10 month and the two year, as well as the 10 or not the 10 month. I've noticed the 10 year and the two year, as well as the 10 year treasury and the three month treasury invert. You know way 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 back like as early as may um of this year and i i believe last year as well it, it inverted a few times um but again it's not like a sure thing but it's one of those it's one of those recession indicators to 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 look for um and that's been inverted for a very very long time but anyway, we're going to get into the economic update and then we're going to get into the consolidated balance sheet and then we're going to wrap this up and get the hell out of here. So according to Reuters reports this week, Monday, all major U.S. indexes finished the first half of the year positive. So clearly there are a lot of signs of a trending bull market, but you just never know. The Fed might spoil everybody's fun um by raising interest rates again that could piss the markets off that could piss off investors or or it could it could spook them and cause them to become fearful i'm not really sure i don't really know there's so many uh variables that come into play you just you you, you truly never know um and a lot of the times you know at, as analysts we just go off of historical data and historical trends we also go off of you know just the psychological implications of of finance and the stock market and just things that people are afraid of things that people want and are optimistic about you know but there's so many there's we talk about it every week man you guys hear all the information like there's a lot of things that come into play so who's to say we'll see what happens but uh yeah Finishing off uh, Monday, U.S. construction spending increased 2.4% on a year-on-year basis in May. Um, an acute or severe shortage of single-family homes available for sale um, is driving construction. Um, I didn't find anything on Tuesday. At least I didn't find anything worth reporting, so I'm skipping to Wednesday. Wednesday. U.S. vehicle sales rose due to better supply and demand. J.D. Power and Global Data estimate that U.S. auto sales are going to reach 4,116,600 units, which is up 18.2% from a year ago. U.S. factory orders rose less than expected in May. Manufacturing accounts for 11.1% of the economy. Um, so that's just a little taste of what's been going on or, or just maybe that's a possibility of interest rates kind of having, you know, lagging effects on the economy being that it ro uh, manufacturing rose a little less than expected and it's over 10% of the economy's, you know, GDP or output, but we'll see, um, because yeah, I'm not an expert on any of this shit. So <laughs> let's continue on. Um, also on Wednesday, the Federal Reserve officials skipped the June rate hike, as most of you probably already know. However, 
Some foresee a mild recession, as we just talked about, with current household employment figures showing a weaker labor market than payroll numbers indicated. So there could be another 25 basis points um, added to the current Fed funds rate by the end of the year. But we'll see. Um, I know they're talking about doing two more 25 basis point rate hikes. So it may get nasty if that happens. But again, I really, I really don't know, which is why I just keep reporting this information on a weekly basis to see what the hell's happening. So um, in other news, CNBC reported 8% of new vehicles are under $30,000, this being the least affordable car market in modern history. So if you look around at everything that's been happening the last two years, I mean, it makes sense. Inflation at one point was at 9.1%. Um, you know, and then of course, the Fed's just been trying to do as much damage control as possible by raising interest rates, you know, in the fastest, uh, in the fastest, like, you know, uh, in the fastest way possible, you know, in, in, in over 40 years. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, I have the same car I've had for the last seven years, so I really don't have much to say on it other than it was interesting just because it makes me think about like all of the younger people who are going to start buying cars and just the effects that it may have on them and just them being able to experience getting a new car. I mean, obviously you can buy used cars um, if you can't. And, and I'm sure a majority of the country is not going to be able to afford a fucking, you know, a $30,000 car off the top. But some people will buy them even though they can't afford them because that's just what Americans do, apparently. So I don't know. But yeah, it's interesting. Um, so yeah, Thursday, Thursday, U.S. unemployment rose. Uh, by 12,000 to a seasonally adjusted number of 248,000 um, uh, by the end of July 1st. So 280,000 claims would signal a major slowdown. And then according to Challenger, Gray, and Christmas, companies announced 187,793 layoffs in the second quarter. This number is actually down 31% from January to March. And then on Friday, U.S. unemployment rate fell from 3.7% to 3.6%. I don't really know, man. Labor market's been super duper tight. Um, obviously, there are still a lot of jobs out there available. If people are getting hired on and and and... And, you know, a large amount of people are not getting laid off. That means that wage growth is probably going to remain pretty steady. People are going to continue to spend money at a considerable clip. Because of that, demand might still stay elevated um, versus the supply that's there. Ergo, inflation could remain as sticky as it has been, you know, this entire year so far, which in my funky ass opinion is going to lead to the Fed 
once again, continuing to, to turn that dial on the Fed funds rate and continue increasing interest rates because they're just not done yet. We're still, uh, what, more than two and a half percent above um, just that that two percent target. And, you know. Yeah, it, it, it could be one of those things where I've mentioned it before, too, and I'm not the first to 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 know about it or say it or whatever. I'm only saying it because I've heard other analysts that I respect and I've actually done the research as far as like the Paul Volcker error uh, where, you know. At one point, inflation got out of control. Um, it was in the double digits. Eventually, they started to raise interest rates. All right. Inflation started to come down a bit. So then they stopped or they paused or they started to cut and then inflation went back up. So then they had to reverse and, and, and start raising rates right again to make sure. So that's another reason why this whole process seems to be taking so long. I think with Jerome Powell and with all the Fed officials, they want to get this right and they want it they want it to be one and done, meaning that throughout the entire process, they want to raise rates high enough and hold them high enough for long enough to where they can be, you know, I don't know, more than who knows, maybe 80%, more than 90% certain that inflation is not going to, to, you know, increase again as soon as they start to pause and then eventually start cutting. Well, they've already paused in for June, but, you know, as far as like that first cut, because, uh, yeah, to me, any, anytime it's, 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 it seems like anytime we get data that, the overall consensus expects to get the market rallies. So if we think there's going to be two more 25 basis point rate hikes this year and those and 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 that's exactly what happens again, it wouldn't surprise me if the market rallies over 1%, you know, on a give on that on that in that given week that it happens. So I don't know, man. I can't imagine being Jerome Power, being a Fed official or or even Janet Yellen or any of these, you know, officials like it's it seems like such a challenge for them because everybody's just anticipating or hanging on to every word that they say. And they're trying to just listen and, and, and get feedback to see, oh, OK, well, they said this. So it means this, which ergo we're going to invest in this way or we're going to do this or we're going to react. And it's like, man. So I think that's a lot of the reason why it seems like this is such a long and drawn out process. Also, on top of just so many more people actually paying attention to it versus maybe like, I don't know, the the, the 70s or the 80s or or maybe even the, the 50s. So but I wasn't around then, so who knows? I'm an 80s baby. Uh, technically a 90s kid. But uh, anyway, uh, one more thing here. Uh, an Instagram account that I follow, and some of you probably follow it, it's at Wealth. I think that's the name of it. They posted a bank rate survey revealing that 72% of Americans feel financially insecure and need $233,000 per year to fix that. 
Like, yo, damn. 72% of Americans. It's just like, you know, there are not that many very wealthy people in, in this country. So for 72% of people, or at least the people that they surveyed saying that they need over 200,000, like $233,000. That is a ridiculous amount of money. Y'all can say what y'all want. That's an insane amount of money. Like, what are you buying with $233,000? That's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, man. And I'm not saying like lower your expectations or, or, you know, have a mediocre uh, uh, poverty mindset or anything like that. But I'm just saying like, if you live below your means and you, and you, you know, you, you take care of all your expenses, it's just like, yo, you 233,000, like I'm chilling on 233,000, like I'm chilling. Yo, like, I don't need anything. But the problem that we have as Americans, a lot of us, is that lifestyle creep. Where when we get raises or we start to make more money, what do we do? We increase our expenses. We buy more crap that we don't need. We get a bigger house. We get a better car. We buy more expensive shoes, more expensive clothes because we're getting more money. That doesn't make sense entirely to me. I understand, like... If you get a really significant raise and you're maybe like not in the best living situation, so you want to just get into your, you know, a better living situation, literally, hey, I live in a rundown condo. I want to just get a nice apartment. I got a raise. It's going to help with, you know, my business or whatever the case. All right. That's understandable if it's within whatever type of budget or whatever. But it's just like, you know, for some people, they would just, they will ball out of control. Like they will go crazy with that kind of money. Um, so I just wonder like, where do they come up with $233,000 per year to fix that? Are they talking to people who made a hundred thousand? I don't know. Um, I might, and I'm not making no promises, but I might have to go back and actually look at that study or that survey to see like, who the hell did they interview? Because yeah, $233,000 is a ridiculous amount of money. It's a lot of money. Um, again, especially if you're living well below your means, you know, food is not that expensive. You know, if you got a moderate to decent car, it, it ain't that expensive. Like, you know, your, your, your utilities or whatever, like if you're living in a solid area, you know, now if you're trying to live in a more luxurious area, if you're trying to get like a really not fancy car or something, or if you're buying like the most uh fanciest cuisine at restaurants and stuff, all right, you might feel like you need that amount of money. But like, man, I just wonder like, you know, yeah, I just wonder like, who are the individuals that, that, uh, that they surveyed? Like, what's the, what's the amount of people that they surveyed? Because, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. But um, I'm done rattling and rambling. So let's continue on. Um, so with all of that information, it still doesn't really like do us justice in regards to capital allocation. You know what our own personal finances like we still have to learn how to become financially literate. We still have to learn how to become financially independent at some point in life. Um, 
And to be able to do that, we have to be able to find ways to invest capital over time in order to generate long-term wealth. Um, and it's much better to do this by conducting research and analysis. So with that being the case, today we will continue with consolidated balance sheets. More specifically, we're going to quickly go over indefinite lived intangible assets. So this is going to be in the consolidated balance sheet of a 10K report. So if you've been following the podcast, we've been talking about 10K reports for a very, very, very long time now. Um, and yeah, it's in reference to buying stock. When you buy stock, when you invest in the stock market, you become a business owner. You own businesses, little pieces of businesses. And these businesses have to report public information. They have to report their finances and show you what they're doing with the money that you're investing. And that comes in the form of a 10K report or a 10Q report, aka an annual report or a quarterly report. So we've been going over the line items in those reports because those are important in regards to assessing the economic characteristics of the businesses that you own inside of your stock portfolio. And these are the things that I look at. Um, and I wish that I had somebody to break those things down and tell me what the hell that they mean without me having to, you know, guess what they mean. And it it's just, it's something that can make you like just a ridiculously better investor, um, you know, in regards to picking businesses that are going to generate great returns on capital over time in order for you to be able to build, sustain and maintain wealth over time. So that's what we've been talking about. And today it's going to be indefinite lived intangible assets. So according to investopedia.com, Intangible or excuse me, indefinite lived intangible assets are assets that stay with the holder as long as they continue to operate, such as a brand name. So what does all of this mean? There are tangible assets, which are physical things. A tangible asset in a business could be a fax machine, a computer, it could be a print and press, it could be a, uh, you know, it could be so, uh, not even, not software because that's that's different. But like I said it before, it could be a welding machine, um, it could be a drill press machine, it could be you know a water fountain that you buy for employees to stay hydrated during hot summer days. Those are tangible assets. Well, not a water fountain. That's ridiculous. It's a physical item that allows the company to generate revenue and income over time. An intangible asset is going to be something that you cannot touch with your hands. So intangible assets are things like intellectual property, copyrights, patents, or brand names, as we just mentioned earlier. Also, goodwill or trade secrets. Um, and then goodwill essentially is basically like, okay, if I'm a very large company, 
I'm, I'm, I'm looking to become a more valuable company over time. Maybe I have a lot of cash. I'm willing to put that cash to work. And instead of me buying stock, I want to buy actual physical businesses. So I go and I buy a smaller company. But this smaller company has really great fundamentals. Uh, it has really great uh, return on equity, good return on assets. Um, it has, uh, you know, a very good current ratio, very good quick ratios. Uh, you know, debt to capital ratio is 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 very promising, et cetera, et cetera. Like, just looking at all the fundamentals. But when you when when I'm when I'm buying that company, let's say I buy it for more than it's actually worth or I buy it for more than its fair value that could be classified or considered goodwill value so the customers you know the patents the licensing the trademarks the the process the manufacturing processes that that company has I buy all of that so they they classify those things as goodwill on a balance sheet. Now, it isn't something to put a lot of stock into, honestly, like to put a lot of emphasis on analyzing or study. The goodwill is it's not going to it isn't the hugest factor. Like you actually might waste more time looking at goodwill and trying to figure out like its utility to you as an investor. Um, it's just one of those things that you're going to see in the consolidated balance sheet. Um, and just in annual reports in general, um, I, I try to go by Warren Buffett. He says it ain't really worth paying attention to. So yeah, that's another part of something that is intangible. Now there are three ways to value intangible assets and the indefinite part, the indefinite lived part again it's 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 stating that again indefinite lived intangible intangible assets are assets that stay with the holder as long as they continue to operate such as a brand name so like McDonald's their name the name McDonald's that name allows you know the creators of McDonald's to continue to generate capital or anybody who bought a a, a franchise as long as you have that name McDonald's, that is a part of your indefinite lived intangible assets. So as long as it's as long as the copyright or the patent on the name or the license on the name is up to date, you as a franchise, as a franchisee owner, you're able to utilize that name in order to generate a profit over time. So a part of the of the name of McDonald's or any other name of a, of a successful company will be classified at some point as an indefinite lived intangible asset. So there are three ways to value these intangible assets as a business. Number one is the market approach. This is the expected value based on a relative analysis. So it looks at putting value on similar intangible assets. However, the problem with this is there may be limited information available about similar assets held by other companies. So you're basically trying to compare apples to apples. Um, not the company, but literally just like the same company versus the same company with their assets to figure out how, how much you think they're worth um, in value. Number two is the income approach. 
when intangibles have a cash flow stream. So when these intangibles are bringing you money, helping you generate income or generate revenue over time. Um, also, estimating possible royalty payments that are derived from the use of the asset or the avoided loss of income. Excuse me. And then the number three way to value intangible assets as a business is the cost approach. This relies on the ideals of substitution. Now, what is substitution? Essentially, it is when you're trying to compare two similar businesses that that are selling similar products. So examples of the cost approach and the idea of substitution would be like Walmart versus Target, Pepsi versus Coke, Mercedes-Benz versus BMW. Because with that, you're going to get more competition plus less market share for each company plus economies of scale which could equal lower margins, lower prices, or less revenue. Um, it just depends, but yeah. So that those are the three approaches, the market approach, the income approach, and the cost approach in regards to trying to value intangible assets as a business. And again, you have indefinite lived intangible assets, so assets that stay with you as long as you continue to to utilize uh, that asset, if it's a brand name or just a logo. And then there actually also is definite lived intangible assets, which are restricted to uh, a limited time. So an example would be like a legal agreement to operate under a company's patent without extension. So yeah, when you see indefinite lived intangible assets on a consolidated balance sheet, now you have just a tiny, whiny understanding of what the hell it is and how you can start to just analyze the, the again, the economic characteristics of it to see if it's worth investing in whatever companies you're looking at um, and just how it could, it could be an important factor, especially if you figure out you know, just the types of intangible assets that that company has, the ones that are most important, and then even going as deep as finding out when some of those intangibles actually will have to be renewed or revalued, or maybe they're, um, you know, becoming obsolete or expiring um, in terms of like a copyright or a patent um, or some type of invention or whatever the case may be. But yeah, man. So that that that's that's it. That's that's what we doing today, man. We we looking at indefinite lived intangible assets and we trying to figure it out, man. Are these brand names, you know, is this goodwill? Are these trade secrets? Are these patents and copyrights, you know, are they still valuable at the at the time that you're investing in these companies? Or do you need to reassess and, and look at other companies or, you know, could you get a better deal? with a similar competitor that has, you know, just better, better logistics or just better finances in regards to indefinite lived intangible assets or anything else like that, any other assets. So yeah, man, um, that these are some of the ideas behind 
value investing. These are some of the ideas behind, you know, trying to generate more capital off of the capital that you invest. Get, making more money, having your money make more money for you, but getting into the details of it and really like thinking as a business owner because that's the whole idea too is not only to get myself, but whoever is listening to think as a business owner. This way, we're not making stupid ass investment decisions and just buying off of hype because buying off of hype is extremely dangerous and can lead to a permanent loss of capital because you're just buying based off of what somebody told you. The problem with that is you don't even understand the business. So this is why I talk about this on a weekly basis because it's important to know so that you don't need to go to uh, some investment analyst to tell you some bullshit just to try to make money off of you or whatever the case may be or to just listen to a bunch of random stuff that you hear and then be confused and make goofy decisions based off of that. So, yeah, because I, you know, I've had issues with that as well. Like I kind of went backwards. I just dove into investing. And then once I was already in and once I started getting my feet wet, I'm like, wait a second. I don't really know what's happening and I want to know and I'm confused and I don't want to be confused anymore. So. I started to just go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And eventually you find out, hey, you can actually, you know, order reports. You can get them sent to your house and you can really study and understand these businesses and see why the 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 value of the business is increasing or decreasing over time or why it's remaining flat. Um, so, yeah, man, that that's all. I know that was a lot, but. You know, you can always play this at a slower speed and you can take notes, do whatever you got to do. But um, it's just information that I find useful to myself. So I figured I would just share it across all the platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you know, Anchor.fm, which I'm not even sure if that's even around anymore, um, and various other podcast platforms. So, yeah, if you enjoyed the finance portion of today's episode, Please make sure that you download, rate, comment, and subscribe to the podcast because we got more episodes on the way. Now, I need to get up out of here because I got to do a little bit more studying and then I got to wind down. Um, try not to eat too much food before bed and get ready for the week. Um, yeah. And then we are about to be in week four of training camp for the Balboa 8 Miler. It's coming up August 5th. Training has been going extremely well. Um, yeah, man, I'm just starting to taper down now. Nutrition has been on point. Uh, the weight has been on point. So yeah, man, I'm ready to go do a couple more runs. Nothing too crazy. Train legs today. I did like a little two mile run, uh, just to get things going, just to break a sweat. And then, uh, yeah, train legs and a tiny bit of upper body. Nothing too crazy, but, uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Definitely starting to think a little bit more about, you know, just some of the junk food and shitty food that I normally eat. But at the same time, um, staying super disciplined, man. So, yeah, I'll keep you guys updated on that. But, uh, yeah, with with that all out of the way, you already know who it is. I'm not going to say it again. I'm out.